0: What's up, party people? Transcending Sport, Rob Cruz. Episode number two, Mike stewart a.k.a. Mike Stew. Former head coach, Chicago Bandits, back-to-back MPF championships, current assistant general manager, Scrapyard Dogs. Let's go. Welcome to the Transcending Sport podcast with Rob Cruz, an audio experience bringing you interviews, conversations, and more from some of the most intriguing personalities in the sports world. And now, your host, Rob Cruz. Welcome to Transcending Sport. I'm your host, Rob Cruz. Today's guest is Mike Stuwall from Scrapyard Dogs. He's the assistant general manager for Scrapyard. Scrapyard Dogs is a professional softball team that competes in the National Pro Fast Pitch League, and today we're going to talk about a number of things. One of which, um, something I've been dying to ask Mike to talk about, and I kind of want to get get this 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 uh, his take on this out there. Um, welcome to the show, Mike.
1: Hey, Rob. How are you?
0: <laughs> so um, we know you're you're the you're the assistant general manager. For the Scrapyard Dogs, which is a relatively new franchise in professional soft, professional fast pitch softball, tell us a little bit about the new gig and um, what it's like making the transition from Chicago to the Houston the Houston area.
1: Okay, um, yeah, I, I've been here for eight weeks now um in the houston area we're actually based in the woodlands um about 20 minutes north of houston so the franchise is in our second season of playing here in um the houston area and also our second season in the national pro fast fish league um it's definitely a a transition coming from chicago um where i was coaching the team the last handful of years and uh You know, being involved in one of the more historic franchises in the league, um, someone that's been around for a little bit, um, a little bit more history uh, here. We're still developing, creating some of the things that we're doing, um, trying to tweak and and change some of the things. And then with my position personally, also moving from the head coaching role to an assistant um, general manager right now, a little bit more of the front office type of things and um, behind the scenes stuff, but still working with um, players and the um, training aspects and the day to day stuff.
0: Okay. All right. That's cool. So let's talk about, let's talk about the, the the back to back, you know, you're coming from Chicago bandits again, uh, a, a team rich in history, legacy. A lot of great players. You had the opportunity to coach Jenny Finch. You had the opportunity to coach Monica Abbott. You know, uh, tell me about the back-to-back championships in 2015 and 16 and what that was like. And not only that, but you being looked at as the baby coach of the league, like the youngest coach in the league. And and then you go ahead and you get those back-to-back national pro fast pitch championships. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, um, you know, obviously it was exciting for us, Um, something, a feat that only a couple of teams have done in league history. Mm -hmm. Um, And we kind of did it with two very different teams over the last two seasons in Chicago. So it was um, two very different journeys that we went on with those teams. Two years ago in 2015, we knew we had a really good team that could compete for a championship, championship if we played to our level um you know we had monica in the circle we had tammy williams at shortstop we had amber patton at third base just a really veteran group yep. uh, that knew how to compete day in and day out so we knew we'd be there at the end of the season um and come playoff time in 2015 we just we played very well uh, during that stretch and playoffs and um Came out on top. You know we had two hard-fought games in the championship. Where both um, final scores were one to nothing with Cat versus Monica. So um, you know when you're involved in games like that, you know they can go either either way with a mistake here, or a mistake there, and it's yep. usually the first team to blink. Uh, last year in 2016, we were a very different team, much younger. Uh, Amber and Tammy had both retired, so that left the uh, left side of our infield uh, very young with a lot of questions Um, you know we lost monica to the scrapyard dogs that off season Uh, so we went in with a a kind of unproven pitching staff even though we had some with experience on the staff we had a lot of um, ladies in those roles that hadn't necessarily had the opportunity to prove themselves uh, and we struggled early on in the season. You know, yeah. we took a lot of uh, losses in June and had a lot of bumps in the road. Um, and the one thing we preached last year with that team is just to compete day in and day out. Um, you know, we always talked about our championship culture that we had, you know, from people like Jenny or Stacy May or Monica when yep. she was on the team or even Tammy. And uh, just kind of the history and tradition of it. Um, but we truly truly emphasize with that team last year is just to compete day in and day out. And, you know, if our best is good enough at the end of the year, then we'll be there. And if it's not, you know, we'll be where we're supposed to be if you put it all out there every day. Um, and we got to uh, a playoff last year and, you know, we had, you know, a great stretch. We were able to knock Monica off and two of, two of the three games in the opening round um, and kind of, pull off that upset um that most people would consider an upset you know from the 23 players in our dugout and our coaching staff we kind of knew we could do it and believed in it um and from there it was uh the bandits and pride which for those that know the league history it's uh, it's a rivalry it's definitely a rivalry (laughs) uh, yeah Yeah. Yeah. big time so you can throw the records out whether it's uh, you know a, a weekday game in june or if it's Game three of the championship series in August, it's always a big game when you have those jerseys on and the, and the rivalry that exists there. So um, you didn't really need to tell our, our players that, you know, we got to take it to another level um, against the pride. They just kind of understood that and um, did a great job those three games of competing. You know, I told them. Probably the game I was most proud of from our aspect last season was game one of the championship. Mm -hmm. Um, Just with how the uh, playoffs worked with rain and stuff like that, we ended up playing game three against um, Scrapyard Dogs on a Saturday afternoon and turning around 30 minutes later and having to play game one of the championship series against the Pride. Uh, So you can imagine the emotional roller coaster our Mm -hmm. players were on going from leaving everything out there for seven innings to find a way to beat Monica and the Scrapyard Dogs, and then 30 minutes later having to turn around and gear it up for game one of a championship series against a team that was rested. So Mm -hmm. uh, we ended up losing game one, three to one, but I told our group, I said, the way you competed for 14 innings today, if you turn around and bring that back for game two, for seven innings, and then game three for seven innings, we're gonna find a way to get this done, and uh, they did.
0: That's great. So, so f- that's that's phenomenal. And I was there for that. It was, <laughs> it was something something to behold. And I, and I and being able to, you know, kind of show up at your batting practice that one morning, I came down for that championship series, and just seeing the focus. Um, I was pretty. I was impressed with the uh, the atmosphere at at in BP, and. The independence that, and, and how everybody just knew what they had to get done and get it done. There was the communication going on between the players. People were working on individual things. It was a really great atmosphere for not only working on some things, but also preparing for what you know what what was the, what was ahead. So I thought that was pretty cool. And, and, and with that kind of focus, I kind of felt like you guys were were going to have a shot. Um But fast forward to to, to scrapyard right now. So as an assistant GM in your role, and, and we know that the NPF, The National Pro Fast Pitch Draft is coming up very, very soon. Um, What are going to be some of the things you're going to be looking for in your prospects? Now, we know that just because you had really good stats in college doesn't mean you're going to be able to play in the NPF. Because it's not about college stats, per se. So, stats aside... um, what, what do you? What makes a good prospect? How do you identify someone who's who? Uh, I'm looking at this player's tools. I'm looking at this player's mental game. I'm looking at the program that she's coming from. What, what what are some of the things that you look at as a as a GM now to say, hey, this is somebody who we're going to take a look at as as a possibility to draft because we feel like what she's doing is going to translate into success in playing in the best softball in the world.
1: You know, it's um, it's still um, – the system is still getting tweaked day in and day out. And I think if you talk to any scout, GM, front office person in any sport, whether it's Major League Baseball, NFL with football, you know, us and the NPF, and obviously we're not quite on the same scale yet. But um, what we look for, I think every team kind of goes into it a little bit different. Um, For me personally, in past experience, we were always big on the culture that we've built. Um, There's a lot of players from a talent standpoint or a statistical standpoint, as you said, that have ability. Um, For us, it was, can this player with that ability fit into what we're trying to create and grow here? Um, And I think that here at the scrapyard now, part of my role is, helping to establish that championship tradition here Mm -hmm. and bring that in. Um, We were fortunate in the off season to sign a couple of big bats or acquire um, Taylor Edwards and Brittany Cervantes and trade. Oh yeah. Uh, We've had a couple of um, pieces that we filled. And so for us looking at our roster is what holes do we have right now from, you know, maybe a talent standpoint that we can bring in. Um, And then once we kind of key in on those players, and some of the, um, you know, roster holes that we might have, whether it's speed or maybe a power bat from the left side or right side, or maybe one more arm in a circle, or maybe someone defensively. Um, once we key in on that, what we try and do is uh, reach out to as many sources and, and you know, like a, someone applying for a job out of high school or college uh, – you know, we're going to do our, our homework and do background checks and uh, with, hey, check with their college coach, you know, how is this person? Can they handle uh, being on their own as a professional? Which, you know, for us, that's a big thing. Uh, you get some players that come from programs that uh, the college level is, is very different from pro where if a player's told how to tie their shoes, uh, which way to walk? You know, mm-hmm. we've had we've had players coming into the pro league that are so structured, twenty four seven in their college program that they don't know how to handle um, the professional life, uh, and some of the freedom that comes with it. You know, one of the things we tell our rookies when they come in is this is a this is a job you're getting paid to do, and so the work that you need to get done is heavily falls on, on your end and the responsibility you take from going to the weight room, the nutrition aspect, the rest aspect, the um, extra reps outside of team practice, you know, that falls on you. And so one of the things uh, with our prospects that we like to do is, you know, check with uh, people and sources to say, you know, this is a really good kid. They have a great work ethic on top of the talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's gonna translate to see some of the competition as well that players have played like you mentioned before there's a lot of great softball talent out there Mm -hmm. and not everyone translates to this level right Um, and trying to find players that okay this this ability is going to translate whether it's from a pitching standpoint or a hitting standpoint
0: okay that's cool so so let me ask you this so we have professional softball Professional team, women's team sport. Um, you were the only coach, and 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 I think back when I coached also. In the MPF, they're, they're, they're min- you're the minority being not being a college coach. Correct. Um, Correct. Because, because because most of the the coaches that are coaching in the NPF are college coaches. And obviously there's a difference, but you, you've been a college coach. So let's talk about the, we talked about the differences. You just talked about the differences between being a college player and being a professional athlete and how there's a definite mental transition in terms of like the, the freedom and, and, and the, and whatnot and the accountability is a little different, but at what are the differences coaching college players versus coaching college uh, professional players? What are, the difference? what are the differences? What are the
1: differences? Similar to what what I mentioned with uh, players as far as what we check on in the draft and, mm-hmm. and work ethic and stuff like that. Some of that um, is the same from the coaching aspect. You know, for me, I'm not structuring my class schedules for players or, or working with, a, you know, an academic advisor. You know, my players aren't going to classes all day. Um, They're, you know, they have unlimited hours with me in the summertime with the Pro League. So if I need someone to be here at 8 in the morning to, you know, come in and get extra reps in, they're going to come in at 8 in the morning to get extra reps in. Um, I think a lot of the difference is you have players that come in at the college level that it's their first time away from home, Um, you know, so a little bit more of the responsibility and growing and maturity is happening during that time um, where when we get them at 21 22 23 out of college or as a free agent um, you know most of them have been away from home for a a time and are kind of a little bit more mature Um, my job as a pro coach is to just give them that structure and manage and um give them the tools necessary to be successful. And then it falls on them on that day-to-day responsibility to put in that work and get it done. Um, I think a little bit more on the college aspect when I was coaching at that level, you know, you you kind of become that parent to that um, player. Um, You know, mom and dad might be across the country, um, and so if issues happen off the field, you're Usually the first one there handling that, um, you know, those types of things, um, and kind of giving a little bit more guidance um, off the field as far as, you know, this is how we want to handle things, this is how we want to um, accept responsibility, this is our work ethic, stuff like that. So I think a lot of it is just a little bit more on the parent role and and structuring Mm -hmm. and um, structuring their day-to-day life as opposed to in the pro league where they come in and, you know, if they want to be here, they're going to put in the time and effort to um, do the work and to find time to do the weight, to find time to run those sprints, um, take extra BP and stuff like that. Uh, So I think it's a little bit more of a manager role, similar to major league baseball when Mm -hmm. you're at the um, NPF level.
0: Okay. So give me, Give me one, one thing as a pitcher and one thing as a hitter. When a player is making the transition from college softball to professional softball, what's, what's probably the biggest thing that the biggest sign that, you know, in the first few weeks that you can say this, this player is going to make it or this player is probably going to need a little more time before they can actually get on the field on a consistent basis? And what is that one thing that, I mean, obviously there's probably multiple things, but what's the one thing that if you got, you have to do this if you're going to transition from a good college pitcher to a good pro pitcher, and the same thing for a hitter?
1: Mm-hmm. I think uh, from a pitching standpoint, the biggest thing I've seen with pitchers that have had success in the league is they hit spots. Um, and we've had some incredibly talented rookies come in and... Um, they might get lit up pretty well in the league just Mm -hmm. because you're facing a number three or four hitter one through nine in the lineup um, or a leadoff hitter one through nine in the lineup. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can't miss spots. And I think that um, the pitchers that have stuck around the league and had success have learned to adapt and stick to their strengths but use those strengths to be able to hit spots, um, to make adjustments, and to mix speeds. Um, the thing I would say from a hitting standpoint that I've had to help hitters the most with is to have them adjust and and from a coaching standpoint is to put them in roles to be successful Um, you know even with the best hitters in the world most hitters have holes in their swings and so from my aspect as a coach trying to find the right situations to put them in and I think that from a playing standpoint, that's been the hardest for a player to adjust to. They come into the league and they might be an All American and they've never sat the bench. And one of the things I'll say to them is the first night I write a lineup for the start of the season, it might be the first time in 23 years of playing that you've never seen your name not in the lineup. And so <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> my, job a, my job as a coach is to put you in opportunities to be successful. Um, so if I know someone struggles with hitting a drop ball, you know, I want to make sure I'm not putting that hitter in that situation where they're facing all the drop ball pitchers that they're going to face in that series. Um, and so I think.
0: So the matchups you you're managing the matchups.
1: Matchups, exactly. Right, okay. And um, I think from a hitting and a pitching standpoint, that's the biggest thing um, is getting getting players to buy into you can be successful at this level, but you have to understand that we have to put you in matchups to be successful.
0: Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay, so one last thing, and I know you got to go. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. This is Mike Stewart-Wall. We have we have Mike Stewart-Wall here on Transcending Sports, and uh, he is the assistant GM for the Scrapyard Dogs in the NPF, National Pro Fast Pit Softball. Mike, you have a degree. You have a master's degree, correct?
1: Uh, two of them actually
0: so. <laughs> okay so you yeah. got two master's degrees uh w- one is in let g- g- tell us what, what they're in real quick uh
1: one is in education yeah um, just the general education masters and then the other one is in clinical and counseling psychology with a sports psych emphasis
0: okay now here's my question how has the yours how has sports psych and your education background and studies helped you as a coach because I, I feel like you're one of the master co- you're one of the underrated master coaches out there who are able to really get players to if you're gonna have if a player's gonna be with you I feel like they're gonna be able to play at their best and I don't think that's a by accident I think there's there's something and you don't got to tell us all your secrets but like how is how has it helped how has it helped you as a coach being able to understand one, the education process, and two, the psych- psych- psychological process in creating those mindsets for to for get girls to compete at that level.
1: Well, first off, thank you. I appreciate the compliment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, uh, the coaching role, I've always been interested in the psychology side of things, and not just um, from coaching, but just in day-to-day life, and mm-hmm. I think that um as i've as i progressed through you know a masters program or even just through my coaching career um uh, one of the things i would say is i've made a lot of mistakes in both and i found that um the more positive approach you can take um you always end up with a better result and i mean i can compare it to right now my wife and i actually just got a a 10 week old um lab. And, you know, I would compare coaching a team to trying to work with a 10-week-old lab. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to have discipline and structure, but at the same time, you're going to get better results when you're positive as opposed to negative. Um, And so for me, um, you know, you have that structure with your team. Um, You try and get to develop and, and know your players and every coach says this but not every coach does it and for me um you know there are there are little things that you can do as a coach that help develop a a family atmosphere um one of the things that you know players that came in with us with chicago i always made sure every morning when we had stretches you know and you have some of those players that aren't morning people. But every morning when we had stretches and and we're getting warmed up, I would walk through that line and, and say good morning to every single person in line, um, you know, and try and ask them about how was their day, you know, what what's going on off the field, you know, maybe it's someone that's struggling on the field at that time, and just let them know there's other things um, outside of the game. Um, whether it's softball or any other sport, there's other things um, that are important, not just whether we win or lose or whether you go four for four in a game or whether you pitch a shutout. Um, and so I think that that always helps me personally with the teams that I've coached and the cultures that I've tried to create is my players understand that there's a, a family atmosphere um, and that we are going to root for each other, we're going to pull for each other. Um and, and it's taken time to develop. You know, Not every person comes from a background that um, they're used to a positive feedback or um, not being yelled at every time they get a, have a mistake on the field. So mm-hmm. it's a culture that we've tried to create no matter where I've been. And I think that um, I've seen greater results when you can deal with players, people in life, from a positive
0: aspect as opposed to everything being from the negative. That's good. I really like that. I feel like the um, most people look at athletes, especially the professional athletes, or even the high-level athletes as like they're not people that have other things going on that could, it definitely does affect how they perform in the sport. And when you Uh, have 100 and when you have a coach and a and a program that actually uh, is sensitive to that, um, it it makes it a whole lot easier to compete and be your best because it's like, oh wow, this person really cares about me, the person, not only me, the softball player. And I think that's uh, that's one, something that I've always tried to do as a coach as well. And I think that that's definitely something that we need more of in sports. Um, one hundred
1: percent agree with you on that you know um, there's a lot of a lot of players that come in and you know for me as I've grown as a coach personally you know you find out a lot of times players think you thought one thing in a situation um, and maybe I didn't communicate it as well as I needed to Uh, and I think that's helped me grow and helped me try and connect with my players a little bit more every year Um, and to continue those relationships i think one of the things from a from a pro level that gets hard is we have them for such a short time you know three and a half months and then Mm -hmm. they're either back coaching with their collegiate teams or overseas playing professionally and so one of the benefits even though i'm not a college coach is it allows me a little bit a little bit of time in the off season to try and keep up and connect with players Mm -hmm. um, where college coaches a lot of time get about uh, going right back to their collegiate programs and and being busy, and that's a full time twenty four seven job, and so it's hard, you know, to connect with your pro players when you're busy with your collegiate players, um, and so I think that that aspect has always helped our programs wherever we've been. Is mm-hmm. uh, just the time that I've tried to make from from us as the coaching staff to connect with our players throughout the off season, and you know, even if it's at uh, convention or, you know, another function where we grab dinner, you know, or a couple of players on the team try and meet up for lunch or coffee, stuff like that, where we can connect and, and keep building those relationships. So we're not starting from, from ground zero as we begin next season. We're picking up where we left off at the end of last
0: season. It's funny you said that because that was, (laughs) that was my next question. (laughs) Here's what I was going to ask you. How long have you coached at at Chicago?
1: So, I was in Chicago for six seasons. Okay, now and, pause. Now, pa- and I've been in the pro league for seven seasons. Okay, and now this is my eighth season
0: now. Okay, now, so you've been you've been in, so now, and you know where I'm going. Most teams haven't had a coach for more than two years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't think has anybody right. has anyone. Um, there's maybe a few that have been, uh, two years. Uh, I know um, not more than two years. I can't, I can't think of any that's been the head coach for two, more than two years or in it. I can't think of a coach who's been in the organization for more than two years
1: mm-hmm. now. And, and that's really, uh, I don't want to cut you off, but I, and maybe I'm answering your question. I really think that that's been a key to our success. That's what I know.
0: Um, and that's where I'm going. You, that's where I'm going. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, and part of it is um, I've I've been fortunate to coach at a high level for females and for males. You know, I coached collegiate baseball for three years, Mm -hmm. um, but no matter what sport it is, I think the big thing I've seen is on any coaching staff or any program, when you can have consistency – it makes things so much easier on your players and you as a coach. Um, You know, for us in Chicago over the six seasons, part of our success was because we had players that established a tradition and established um, expectations from Jenny to Stacy um, to Laura Harms, you know, and other players. And then when the next set of players came in, they picked right up on those expectations and traditions, and so it's trickled down every year. And the players that continue to come back, you know, end up being coaches for me on the field, where I don't even need to say something, um, and, right. it, and it gets taken care of. And I think that that was a huge part of our success over the last couple of years. Is our vets knew that if I ever ended up dealing with it. Then it was a serious issue, and that any minor issues were usually dealt with by the players themselves.
0: Wow, wow! So, and, and I think that's the, that. That I think that has a lot to do with with just winning, because if you look at even if you look at uh, top if you look at all the top fifteen, you look at if you take the top fifteen softball programs in the country in, in college, you're looking at assistant coaches that have been there for fifteen years with that head coach twenty years. Ten, fifteen, twenty years. There's not a lot of turnover in staffs. Speaking of staffs, <laughs> scrapyard <laughs> dogs, man. That staff is stacked. <laughs> like the knowledge, oh, yeah. the hitting coaches. I mean, these girls. I'm, I'm gonna tell you right now, with that, with that staff that you that they put together at scrapyard, scrapyard. Excuse me, one second. Go
1: you okay. know, we are very fortunate, you know, you, you did mention, the, you know, if you do look at the top 15, 20, even the top 25, mm-hmm. um, even go to mid-majors, um, you t- take a look at any other sport, I bet you if you average um, the coaching staff and just the assistants that are there, there's probably, um, you know, and this is just a guess off the top of my head, but from any program that's been around, You know, there's five to ten years on average of a staff. There's not a lot of transition and turnover. Um, And I think part of that is good head coaches know that for them to have a successful program, they have to keep their assistants happy, and so they do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, in turn, those assistants understand what the head coach wants. And then that just becomes... You know, an extension of my voice. Uh, you know, anything that we've done, you know, the last couple of years I was fortunate to have um, Roman for who's at Arizona State right now, as an assistant. And so the longer that Roman and I worked together, he knew, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and it went from early on in our relationship to he might text me and ask me, What do you want in this situation? to the last, you know, last season I didn't have to. I didn't get a text from him. He knew what we wanted in that situation and it just became an extension of my voice and then it trickles down to the leaders. But, um, you know, I definitely think that the consistency aspect is huge just because uh, when it comes to on the field and off the field, um, players know what the expectations are and and what the discipline needs to be. Um, And so I think that, you know, you can look at any sport and the most successful programs have that consistency, whether it's a staff that moves in. You know, you look at Auburn. Their staff came over from Arizona State. They've had a lot of success there. Or, you know, Coach Walton at Florida. He's had most of his staff intact yep. um, for several years. Or you look at, you know, Oregon now. Um, you know, all of them. All of them, And, yeah. then, you know, for us... For us at Scrapyard, we've been very fortunate to put together a great staff this year. Um, and I think the, the fun thing for us is they're all coming from incredibly successful bre- uh, backgrounds and all are looked at as great teachers of the game. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, for us, that kind of puts a puts a little bit of expectation on us as sure a, does. a team. As, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think one of... One of my favorite quotes is, it's only bad pressure if you're not prepared for the situation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that there's going to be pressure on us as a team and a coaching staff and a front office. But, you know, we plan to be prepared for it. And so it's not a negative thing for us. It's a positive. And it's fun going into the day having a little bit of a uh, fire nipping at you where you say, we got to get this done. But, you know, we're prepared for it and we're ready for it. That's good stuff.
0: So Mike, so Mike, where can people find you um, on social? Tell tell us where we can find you. So we, I, I want to you know, my to my listening audience. This, uh, Mike and I are very, we're, we're good friends. You know, we, we we hang out. He he came to New York. Matter of fact, he came to New York on Labor Day. We we hung out at the uh, where did we go? We went to the, went to a Met game. We went to uh, the tennis matches. What was it? The, the U.S. Open. We had a, we had a blast. Yeah, <laughs> we had a blast
1: it all that weekend, and i think part of that is also my um interest in psych you know not just from the softball Mm -hmm. side or the baseball side i love to see it in all different forms you know so i really enjoyed our time at the u.s open because i got a chance to see some some of the best tennis athletes in the world you know and and how they performed in pressure situations and how they handled it and i think you and i ended up uh at one of the best matches of the weekend that went four hours and Yeah, it on. think about it. Yeah. I, I, I sat there just amazed, you know, these guys are competing for four hours at the highest level of the four sport hours. and, you know, every every point was meaningful. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I, I've appreciated our friendship and the things that we've been able to see. Um, from a, a social media aspect, I'm on a lot of platforms. Um, I try and keep up with them as best I can. Sometimes I'm not the greatest at it. I'm on Twitter at Coach Stu. Um, Facebook, you can connect with me at Michael Sterwald. Um, Instagram, um, coach, uh, coach underscore Stu5. Mm-hmm. Um, and my Twitter, again, is Coach underscore, underscore Stu. Yeah. And so, I'm going yeah.
0: to have all that on the show notes also. So if anybody wants to check out the show notes, after listening to the podcast, you can find the show notes on my website, which is complete.game and you'll find all the show notes and you'll be able to listen to the show, share the show and find, and you'll and I'll have all Mike's information so you guys can reach out, send him, drop him a little like or give him a little follow on any of the social media. Mike, it's been great having you on and we've got to get you back on again, obviously because I want to, there's so much more that we got to talk about that we couldn't even get to just in terms of like For hitting sure. and drills and and, and, that, and psychology, and mental game, and just, there's so many different parts of the game that that, that that we can talk about forever, it seems. And my audience, my listening audience, is a very educated audience, a very passionate audience, and an audience that's always looking for an edge or seeking knowledge or wanting to hear from the best. And I really appreciate
1: you coming on the show. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Look forward to uh, connecting with you again.